Hello, friends, and welcome to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I am your host. And before you reach for that skip button, please uh, hear me out. I've got some news, and it isn't good news, I'm afraid. I am out of money, like all the way out. I've been so, so focused on Bikes for Death, and I've been working so hard that I didn't even realize how deep I'd gotten myself, but you know, here we are. I talk a lot about Instagram versus reality, but how about a little bit of podcast versus reality? The reality is, is that I've been the benefactor of a immense outpouring of support from the community, from so many people all, all over the world um, who have bought merchandise, listened to the show, donated money, you know, whatever it is, or just, you know, sent me a message and told me I was doing a good job. Whatever it is, you know, I have been the benefactor of so many amazing things, and this has been an absolutely incredible experience. But it's one that I have been personally financing. Uh, unfortunately, I can no longer pay for the privilege to be the host of this show anymore. But just because I can't doesn't mean we're done. I am not quitting. Over the last three years, I've given you 78 episodes now and hundreds of hours of audio entertainment or podcasting or whatever you want to call. In addition to all the social media and the websites and the blog posts and everything else I do. It takes a lot to try to chase your dreams and turn them into a reality. And I have, I have sacrificed so much. And unfortunately, you know, I've, I've just come up short. And being a person who advocates for solo self-supported adventures and, you know, just as a person who's really lived by that ethos since I was 17 years old and moved out of my parents' house and I've kind of been figuring it out ever since on my own, Nobody likes asking for help, but I can't help but give y'all the opportunity to decide how much you value this podcast. I hope that over these years that I have shown you how much I value it, and I've done it because I believe in this podcast. I love it, and I love y'all. I sacrifice so much because of you. I never would have given so much if it wasn't for all the love and the support that I receive from countless people. You know, and I want to say that I don't regret sacrificing so much. I don't regret putting so much into this. I knew exactly what I was doing. I believe in Bikes for Death. And because of that, I was willing to put so much in. I've told my friends kind of as a joke, they ask me how Bikes for Death is going. And I always say, I don't know. It's either an expensive hobby or an investment, you know? time will tell kind of thing. And so far, it's just mostly been a really expensive hobby. So now I'm asking you, how much do you value this show? Has it been a companion for you on a bike ride or a car trip? Has it given you inspiration? Have you gotten a chuckle out of it? Or has it just been a, a distraction for you as you go throughout your day? But if you're here after 78 episodes and several years, and you've been enjoying the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. If you're not signed up to be a sustaining member of the Bikes for Death podcast, now is the time 
to sign up. Because like I've said so many times before, I can't do it without you. I want you to know that I am not ready to quit. I'm just out of money. So, you know, today is all about a call to action. Earlier this week, I sent out an email to pretty much everyone I could think of in the industry that I've met, that I've become friends with, and I think that might know somebody who might know somebody who might be interested in partnering up with the Bikes for Death podcast. And as a result of that email, I've had a lot of great conversations. I'm continuing those conversations with different companies that you know may be interested in set, stepping up to partner with um, Bikes for Death. And so I'll put that out here as well. You know, if you as a listener are aware of a company that may be interested in stepping up to partner with Bikes or Death, um, I think there's a great opportunity. I believe that is the path to success. I'm hopeful that, you know, I can find a couple companies that are in a position to partner up with Bikes or Death, help us grow, and, and I can help them grow their brand or help sell their products or whatever it is. And I'm hopeful also that listeners will step up and help bridge that gap and that you will value it enough that you will help it to continue to go. I'm afraid that it really is that simple. I've reached a point that where I can no longer personally finance the show and uh, I really need to make a decision in the near future about the direction I'm going to be moving in uh, because I have to pay some bills and um, you know, I either need to step up things over here at Bikes or Death, um, or I need to walk away for just a little while and probably focus on my real estate career. You know, just put some more money in the bank and I'll be back when I do. I want you to know that I am not stopping, in the words of Leo Wilcox. Even if I have to walk away for a little while, I will be back. I didn't start Bikes or Death to become a podcaster of notoriety or make money or, or anything, you know, I just wanted to give back to the community and I have certainly done that. And in every way imaginable, this podcast has been a huge success except for financially. And that's kind of the hard part. It's not the most important part. It's just one of the parts if you want to keep it going. But, um, like I said, no matter what, this has been, wildly successful. And even if I have to step away for a little while, I will hundred percent be back and I will figure out a way to make this work. Um, you know, I always talk about how life is a learning process and there's no such thing as a failure as long as you're learning from it. And I have learned so much. I've grown so much and, um, man, we've been along for the journey and it has been a hell of a ride. And I, I hope that it's not over because I have so much more left to give. I think that really, you know, the podcast was hitting a very nice stride after coming out of the pandemic and getting back out on the road. I think that, you know, the real potential of the show is really like coming, coming into stride and it's super exciting. And, um, I'm, I'm so grateful that for this whole experience, it's been truly amazing. So just know that if I have to step away for a little while, that I will be back, but I'm hoping that that's not the case. I'm hoping that um, I'll be able to find a few companies that want to partner with Bikes or Death, and I'm hopeful that you know some of the listeners will, will step up and, um, and decide to become sustaining members over on Patreon. So that is kind of where we're at. And if we can't 
make it happen right now, that's okay too. I'll go back to real estate, I'll put some money in the coffers, and when I got more chips, I will be back at this table and producing the best damn podcast I can. Okay, well, that is it. If you have ever considered being a patron, even if you haven't considered it, but you like this show and you would like to see it continue to show up in your podcasting feed, now is the time to sign up as a Patreon. You can sign up over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. And there are a lot of great perks to being a patron. We have a patron-only podcast that only patrons have access to called The After Party. We have patron perks, which are great. They're industry discounts from partners in the industry, and I'm looking to grow those. And I would like to tell you about a new incentive that I just found out about this morning. Um, one of the people that I emailed was, was Greg Hardy over at Rock Guys. He's always been a great partner and a friend and a, and a supporter of Bikes or Death. He stepped up to give away some Rock Geist items every single month. Well, item or items, they're gonna, it's gonna be different every single month. But this month, one of our patrons is going to win a Rock Guy Space Link and Bandana. We're gonna new, do something new and fun every single month, but that is just one of the perks that are available to you as a patron. But most importantly, the biggest value is that you just help to keep the show going, literally. So without further ado, Let's give a shout out to our newest patrons. We actually have quite a few this week. So let's give a huge shout out to Jeremy Gleason, Michael Gerwig, Tom Boss, Dave Lewis, Valerie Ruaz, Dave Easily, Bill Gherkin, Matthew Wells, David Criswell, Stephen Alton, Neil Savula, Jess Orman, Charlie Lingerfelt, Katie Cummings, and Ashley Ferris. Seriously, I can't do it without y'all. If you would like to be my boss and hire me to do the Bikes for Death podcast, you can find out that and more over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. All right, everybody, let's get to today's show. I would like to apologize to my guest, Jessica Alexander. I do not want my message to detract from our episode, and I apologize to her for having to take some of her time by dealing with some bikes or death housekeeping here. I've known about Jessica Alexander for a while. She's a part of the Austin bike scene and she's been published in bikepacking.com a couple of times with articles about Big Ben and Arkansas High Country, which are two topics that you'll know I'm very fond of. But one day I was flipping through, I'm, I subscribed to TPWD, which is Texas Parks and Wildlife Department magazine. And I flipped through, well, actually I don't have to flip very far because on the very front, front cover, it says something about a two-wheeled bicycle tour in a pandemic from Arkansas to Austin. So obviously I open up directly to that article and it's an article by Jessica about how her and her friend created a route and rode it from Arkansas to Austin during a pandemic, completely self-supported. And, you know, they did the whole thing. They created the route, they brought their gear, they ran into issues, they <laughs> had to pivot. And um, we, we really focus on that because 
the truth is that Jessica is a wealth of knowledge. She has tons of experience from all sides of the cycling industry. And um, yeah, we they're just, you know, another one of these people where there just wasn't enough time to cover everything. But she has so much information. I think we did a really good job of telling her story and also sharing some really good information about how to bike pack, how to create routes, how to do a solo self-supported um, adventure, or in this case, uh, you know, with a partner. But yeah, lots of really good information. I appreciate her taking the time to inform, educate, and keep the stoke alive over here at Bikes for Death. Oh, and I also want to give a special shout out to the East Side Pedal Pushers. It's a bike shop there in East Austin. They were very generous to give us a spot to uh, interview there in kind of their lawn underneath a huge tree. Uh, it was hot as fuck. And so it was nice to have shade and there was a nice breeze. So I just want to thank them for, for giving us a space to record this podcast. All right. So. Without further ado, let's have Miles Arbor take it away with the Bikes or Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think... Oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. So, uh, yeah. How, how far did you make it into the uh, Bobby Wintle episode? That one dropped yesterday, uh, and it's a four hour podcast. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I had heard about it through Bobby actually. Um, a couple weeks ago, I went to go visit him um, on my way up to Unbound Gravel, and I, I stayed in Stillwater one night. And unfortunately, there was a lot of rain that day, so I wasn't able to go ride there because that was kind of my intention was to ride like the first 25, 30 miles of the, um, I'm going to say land run because I was just listening to his podcast, but yeah. to uh, Mid-South. I was going to ride the first uh, 30 miles of the 100 course uh, because I actually haven't raced that race yet. But yeah, so he had mentioned to me that he was going to be part of the podcast, and I was absolutely enthralled in that because, first of all, I think the world of Bobby, and secondly, he inspires and brings energy and um, a spark to the cycling world that is contagious, that goes beyond the cycling world. I mean, you you heard it in your interview with him and the four hours you spent drinking bourbon, <laughs> uh, whiskey, technically, but if they're going to call it bourbon, let them call it bourbon. Um <laughs> There was just that beautiful energy for life in his voice and just how he got very passionate about the stillness and the beauty of the race and the finish line. And, you know, like I could just see him closing his eyes and you can feel that emotion in his voice. And to me, that's there's nothing like a person that can genuinely like get into your soul and not even you don't even really have to know him that well. But yeah. yet, like I feel like I've known Bobby for years now and I've only known him a year. And I actually met him through work circumstances. It wasn't even through um, racing his race so it was pretty organic that we have been able to build a friendship since that yeah he's he's an interesting guy there's not many people like him you know that are just that <laughs> contagious i interviewed claire um up there in stillwater as well and that one hasn't come out yet but she uh, referred to him as a uh, like if you picture him as a labrador retriever 
like in a human form, like how he's just always happy and everybody's like, you know, he's just spreading the love all the time, you know, that was her like impression of Bobby. But what I found out and what you touched on too, is that there's actually a lot more to that. And that was a part that I was really like interested to, to key in on because I think, you know, he's, he's Bobby Wintle, like people know who he is. He's, he's very much in the public eye. And so it was nice to get to know that, that side of him. And he is just all heart, all passion. And yeah, it's hard not to like somebody who's that passionate and that, yeah, just passionate about life, passionate about what they're doing. You know, I mean, it spreads, it's contagious. He definitely has been the biggest inspiration of my life uh, the past year. And I can say that very, um, very enthusiastically, but also very heartfelt because I met him right before the pandemic. So actually hanging with the crew from um, Plug to the bike shop that we're at right now, Eastside Pedal Pushers, um, they have in the past like helped sponsor some teams that went out to do Mid-South. And so it was kind of neat to see uh, the race, like, I, gosh, I have to back up. Like, I didn't even go to race Mid-South. I happened to be there um, hired to do photography for cycling news over in the UK. And so I really wasn't... My expectation was to go there with open eyes because I'd never professionally photographed a gravel race. But also, yeah, but also to to, to kind of take in the scene. I heard it was just so special and, and there's nothing like it. You know, they, they said that getting that hug from Bobby and, and the lands that you're riding on and the experience uh, of the terrain based on how the weather conditions can play out are just, are just unreplaceable. And absolutely, that's what ended up happening last year. Um, you know, of course, we were all hesitant going into it because we knew that the pandemic was looming and, you know, there had been grumbles of not even potentially having Mid-South. And so when uh, we heard it was all good out to go out, we headed out and drove from Austin and uh, it was quite possibly one of the best weekends of my life because um, I knew it was going to be the last weekend I'd get to spend with that group of friends, my yeah. Austin bike family. And um, I know. remember my last bike trip before it all shut down. Mm -hmm. It's like, it like it, it's all you had for that, you know, 18 months or whatever. It's like, that's what you had. So you said that it, he's one of the most inspirational figures in your life right now, or is the most that's yeah. a bold or a big statement, not a bold yeah, statement. I mean, I, I really think that it comes down to being open and being willing and being able to, to, to meet somebody and immediately not pass judgment and to immediately say they're now part of my family and they're part of my community. And so for me, going into this race scenario as a photographer and somebody that I didn't, I didn't really know, you know, I've photographed uh, professional bike races before, but never in a gravel realm. And so I knew some of the photographers and media folks, but I didn't really know how Mid-South was going to work out and, you know, like where I had access to and where I didn't. And of course it's still very much a grassroots small, well, I say small, but you know, you're not having a larger organization um, organizing the actual race. Yeah, it's still grassroots. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I, I'll never forget it, but like I was in the press area before the finish line. Um, you know, we were awaiting the top three to come in. And um, Bobby was just kind of like saying hi to all the press folks. And then he saw me and he didn't recognize me. And he's like, hi, who, who are you? Um, and, you know, I just was kind of caught off guard because, you know, rarely do I have people that. I knew who he was, but rarely do you have like the race directors on a busy race day take going out of their way to say hello and kind of kind of shake your hand. And I was like, I'm Jessica and I'm with uh, Fellow News. And he was like, well, he's like, 
I'm so happy you're here, and I think that you should be in front of all these guys. And so he literally let me get in front of all the rest of the media, and I think our relationship and friendship just kind of built from there where, you know, he could have been like, okay, stay out of the way, or, you know, I know Bobby's not that kind of person, but I've plenty of races where I have been the newcomer and people essentially say, stay out of the way, you know, and, and Bobby was the complete opposite. He introduced me to his staff. He, or even if they're not saying stay out of the way, they're not as like as accommodating as like, Hey, what yeah. are you doing here? How yeah. can I help? Yeah, absolutely. So it's like, he says, uh, what it was he saying that the answer is yes. What's the question? You know, he's like, you know, I don't want to make the whole thing about Bobby, but, um, no, 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 I you know, know I, uh, he, it, it's just, it's cool to, that like so many people who interact, like, I don't know. You know how like they say, uh, "Don't don't meet your heroes." You know, it's like you you meet them and you're like let down, you know, or you like hear stories or something. And like that's one thing. I I don't know if you listen. You, it doesn't sound like you listen to the end, but like I point out, I'm like, you know, everybody that's like in your life, like all your employees and everybody that's been in there for nine, ten years you know, those people all speak very highly of you. And like to be a business owner, to be a leader and to like have those people want to still be there and be your friend. Like it says a lot about who you are and the way you treat treat people, you Absolutely. know? Absolutely. And I, and I think that's exactly where I was kind of going with that long synopsis is, oh. is, <laughs> is he has, he has been a very positive influence in his community. And I, I, I really aspire to kind of achieve that same thing in my life where, you know, I'm a respected member of the community where people can come to me with questions and, 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 and consult, you know, I can be a consultant for bikepacking, which is, you know, definitely what I've been doing the last couple of years. The thing that I always am reminded by is that you'll rise to the people in your closest circles. And so, you know, I tend to keep people in my life that are very motivated, hardworking, where they can be honest with me. I can be honest with them. And absolutely that puts Bobby up at the top of the list as yeah. being super important in my life. I mean, I walked away extremely motivated on a lot of levels. I mean, he was like helping me with my podcast business. He was just like, I mean, he's so helpful. He's just like, exactly. bro, what do you need? What do you need? What, you know, what's going on? He's like, I love what you're doing. How can I help? And, um, you know, it's that fire, man. He's so passionate about it. I'm like, I got to turn on my passion more. You know, I got to, I got to go after it more. I got to get it more. kind of where I'm at, where I am today. Yeah. You know, I've always told myself, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And, you know, I'm not going to let somebody tell me now. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to kind of get to know you a little bit better. And I think to do that, you know, I'm meeting you today for the first time. And so I know kind of what I've seen on social media and what I've read about um, from some of your work and stuff that you've done. But I gather that you're like a professional photographer, journalist, maybe bike racer too. Can you like give paint a picture in a nutshell of kind of like what your your work life looks like? Yeah, the the umbrella is pretty wide right yeah. now. <laughs> so, so I'm having a hard time, you know, putting in a nice little package. But yeah, what do you do? Yeah, so um, full-time professionally, I am a photographer. And I've been doing this full-time for nine years now. Really, generally speaking, have focused in the past on um, event work, which is encompassing bike racing and bike events, entertainment. So I used to go to a lot of music festivals and shoot a lot of um live music, which is kind of really where I started to get into photography full-time as a position. Um, and then editorial. So I've got like a, actually I have two agents, press agents in the UK that represent me and they sell my images to various publications in the UK. Wow. Um, and occasionally in the US as well. Um, so when you say editorial, is that like a editorial style photo shoot where it's like really high end kind of? Um, I kind of define editorial more as, um, something that would be sold for um, 
for like print or for online use. So of like what either celebrities or pertinent uh, events that are taking place. So almost like event photography, but with, you know, people of, of people that you need to know. Yeah. Interesting. So, wow. So, yeah, so the, that does keep me really busy. But then of course, um, you know, outside of that, and this is kind of where I think my life has just been really interesting. I've, I've been able to, you know, that job has afforded me the opportunity to do other things. And so for me, I've, I've been able to kind of freelance with, with writing and, um, I am a journalism, uh, public relations major. And so, um, I went to Sam Houston State University and, um, I'm actually destined to become a journalist. According to my mom, um, I was named after Jessica Savage. Um, she's a late 1970s uh, broadcast journalist. Oh, really? Absolutely, yeah. And so it's just always kind of been in the back of my head. Um, I have to ask, why were you named after her? Well, I mean, she wasn't super controversial, although she was murdered <laughs> in her life. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I think my parents just felt I had that spark. Interesting. You know? and, I, and I think that's kind of where I've always been um, in love with and interested in media is because there's always like energy behind it and you're always chasing the new thing and you're always making sure it's documented for historical purpose and for, you know, for just overall knowledge that people need. Yeah. I think it's been really crazy to, to, to kind of see how my life is coming to that in a way that I hadn't necessarily planned. And, uh, you know, outside of all the photography that I've been doing, um, kind of my pandemic pivot was getting back into my writing career, which is something that I never really spent a lot of time doing when I was younger. So I just started emailing editors and reaching out to my friends and saying, hey, you know, I've, I've got all these cool projects I'm working at, working on right now, and I'd love to have them documented. Do you know any editors that would be interested? And, you know, I went big. I, I contacted Bicycling Magazine. I, I contacted Outside Magazine. Um, you know, I've always been very much um, a print publication aficionado. Um, I still subscribe to print magazines. Um, in fact, I get Bella News every day or, you know, every month in my house. I think really it's very serendipitous because, you know, every time I've picked up a magazine um, from either Rolling Stone or Bicycling or, you know, Bella News, and I'm like, I'd love to see my work in there. I make it happen <laughs> and I get to see my work in there. And so wow. that's kind of why I think print is still very much relevant and important in my life. And so... You know, I've spent the last year essentially like documenting my travels and also pitching ideas for new travels and then also just experiences that I have. For example, I, I went and raced, getting into the other thing that I love doing, which is bike racing. I raced Tulsa Tough this past uh, month in yeah. Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it was my first time going out there. It was a hell of an experience. I definitely got my ass <laughs> My picked. first time, too. Oh, yeah. See, I didn't even see you there. No, so I saw wild. some of the other uh, Austin crew and I didn't. That's what I was. That's kind of where that question came from, honestly. And it kind of opened up my eyes a lot. Actually, that uh, event opened up my eyes to a lot of things. But you in particularly, I had reached out to you because of an article you wrote for Texas Parks and Wildlife Department magazine about, uh, and we're going to be talking about this, a trip that you did from Arkansas down to Austin during the pandemic, you and a girlfriend of y'all's, it was like a 700 mile trip. So I, that's why I was like, oh, this is so cool, you know? <laughs> and, uh, that was like, all right, I want to talk to this chick. Let's go. And, uh, and then I'm like in Tulsa tough interviewing Bobby Wintel to come first full circle with that. And he's like, you got to check out Tulsa tough, never heard of it. So I go 
And then it turns out like Jolene Holland is there racing and uh, Alicia was there and you were there and there was a bunch of Austin crew. You're like hardcore crit racer and you know, you do the backpacking thing, which is how I kind of found out about you, which I think is cool. I love it when we're not just pegged into like one thing, you know, and how, you know, I don't know. It's uh, cycling is fun and I love all of it. And so I, I like it when people like kind of cross cross the lines and do a little bit of it all. I think that's kind of my whole life. I, I felt that, um, you know, if there was to be an ethos on Jessica, it's always been to to kind of find ways to be fabulous and in, in ways that are not expected. You know, I don't think anybody expected me to like, I'm not going to say not bike race because I did my first bike race when I was eight years old. <laughs> so I've been racing a long time, but um, different iterations and, you know, I didn't stick with it consistently. But, you know, I just I just do what I want to do. And I think that's what my parents discovered about me at a very young age. They're like, she's going to be fiercely independent. She's going to do what she wants to do. And so I've just kind of followed that with my passions in life. So, you know, I did, you know, I knew that photography was going to be a really hard career path to get into. And, you know, I busted my ass for for very many years um, prior to even going full time. And then, you know, in the last few years, it's definitely become more of a lucrative, but still very much hustle work situation. But that plays to what I really enjoy, and that's to have my hands um, busy. I'm not an idle hands kind of person, as yeah. you can see. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I just, uh, I love creating. And so I think there are ways to do that in the bike industry as well as related fields, whether it's documenting it as a written storyteller or fortes into newer adventures uh, with spoken word and um, oh, broadcast yeah. journalism. So Yeah, shout out to, uh, what. tell me what it is, actually. I know that you're doing a, a bike storytelling event tomorrow night, but yeah, I'd love to know what what is this bike storytelling and what are you going to be talking about? Yeah, so there is a wonderful new um, story night that's occurring in Austin throughout different parts of town, and it is all bike stories. Um, it's occurring about once a month, so they actually had... The first iteration of it was actually here at Eastside Pedal Pushers about a month ago. And there's this lovely uh, person, Valerie, who um, just decided to reach out to folks and said, hey, do you have a story to tell? If you would, send me a synopsis and then we'll put, you know, four of these together and we'll also have a nonprofit speak as part of it. And so so the cause is, sure, storytelling in, in, a, in a format, you know, kind of coming out of the pandemic, which is, you know, very much like a nice way to, to see people in the community, but also to promote, like, good people doing great things in the community. So the, uh, tomorrow's nonprofit's the Mama Jamma Ride, which I believe raises money for breast cancer. And then we've also got two other organizations, uh, the Jasalo Foundation, which um, uh, if you don't know about the, the Jasalo Foundation, let me talk about them for a second. Please do. Um, they were, uh, we actually did a community spotlight for them on the Bikes for Death podcast, but please like, shout them out again. So Jasalo Foundation is a, a foundation that I've volunteered with uh, over the last 13 years that I've lived here in Austin. And they're absolutely wonderful folks. Their, their biggest goal really is just to get young people and older folks on bikes. And yeah. they do it through different mediums. They do bike clinics. They do um, bike rodeos. They uh, have a program for the seniors called the Golden Rollers. That one is my favorite. And I got to photograph that. And I literally was just crying like half the time. When they, the one, so the good. photographs when they're like, because a lot of them were on like trikes with yeah, basket all bikes. On on. Trikes. Yeah, it's I love so, it. It's so beautiful. And, it was awesome. You know, I got to, this is really kind of where I think my journalistic brain has been turning over the last few years. Is like, how can I help tell these stories? Because you, you see the seniors and of course they've done like a, a bike film festival clip of uh, Jasala Foundation has about the, the, the impact of the, the golden rollers. But these folks that are 
50s, 60s, 70s, some even older than that. And I and I think there's a few that are a little bit younger as well, but they're like, I never rode a bike or I haven't ridden a bike since I was five years old. Oh my or, God, yeah. You know, it's like I nobody ever taught me how to ride a bike. And, you know, I've always wanted to go to the convenience store, but I can't walk that far. And so it's really just kind of allowed so many new people the opportunity to ride bikes and then Not also to, to mention, really enjoy themselves. Like, the, I mean, especially when you're getting older, cycling is a great low impact exercise that you can do. Um, so I want to trike right now. <laughs> you don't have to be older for that. <laughs> I'll, I'll take a trike as long as it's tight. There you go. Um, so, so yeah, Jasalo Foundation is going to be um, a beneficiary, or rather, they're going to be donating some bike light sets tomorrow night. And then also, um, bike cyclist lawyers um, are going to be doing, um, bike cyclist law, excuse me, is going to be doing like some little goodie bags as well with like some know your bike rights kind of pamphlets. So, you know, it's a really good, so it's are a really they, good thing. Are they, is that bike law? Are they advocating for obviously like better bike laws for cyclists and? You know, kind of both, yeah. Kind of both, like, um, they have the ability to lobby, and then they also have the ability to represent cyclists that are in, like, wrongful incidents. Okay. So, you know, it's it's just good to see that activism, right? You know, it's it's one thing to say, I need to have your back, and you need to have my back. But it's like, well, we're looking at everybody's back, right? Because at the end of the day, everybody can win from better legislation. <laughs> you know? I would hope, right? Yeah, you know, at yeah. At least I mean, when it comes to, like, what we're talking about, which is cycling infrastructure yeah, and yeah. cyclists in general. Yeah, and cycling awareness, man, 100%. I, I have to share this, I guess. I don't have to. But um, just yesterday, I was reading that article about did you hear in Arizona where that guy plowed into like seven cyclists? And I was literally reading that article. And then my uh, girlfriend texted me and said, I got, I wrecked and I talked to her and it turns out like a guy on a scooter, like ran her off the, like an electric scooter, ran her off the bike path into a tree. And she's actually seeing a doctor like right now. She's got like blurry vision, pressure behind her eyes, fatigue, Did nausea. He stop? Yeah. He stopped and blamed her for it. Well, I, I don't want to unfortunately out myself, but I had a similar incident pretty recently too, where, um, somebody on, on a scooter hit me. Yeah. So, you know, there's lots of that what we're talking about. So to, to speak to what you're saying is like, yeah, let's just make it better for everybody. Everybody. Yeah. And create a space for everybody. Scooter guy can be there. Cars can be there. Cyclists can be there. Nobody needs to blame anybody. You know, it's just, there needs to be that definitive awareness and actions. 100%. Because of the awareness that it was made. But going to the event tomorrow night, it's it's going to be a great event. Um, I'll be one of four speakers. And it's just really nice to to tell my story. I'll be reading from uh, my bikepacking.com journal article that I wrote um, this past February about my non-related experience to the one we're about to talk about. But um, my, um, I'm not going to say failed attempt, but my experience at bikepacking the uh, River, uh, River Road Ramble in Big Bend National yeah. Park. On uh, 38 millimeter tires. <laughs> that probably tells you everything that you need to know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, if people aren't familiar with Big Bend and the River Ramble, I mean, the River Ramble is like almost 200 miles or more. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a big think, chunk. I think we were going to clock it at 168. There's yeah. a couple of various routes that you can do, but yeah, and we were actually going to be there like one weekend apart. We were going right? to. Yeah, I was, I was, I was well, very excited about that. I was, uh, I went there for my birthday, and then you were like going out there shortly thereafter. We are going to talk about it now. What happened? Why was it a failed attempt? Well, and I, and I don't believe in failure because I do absolutely. believe in learning experiences. And and so, yeah, absolutely. what was your learning experience on this trip? So the short of it, and, and this is kind of what I detail in the story, is that, you know, I had opted to make this a 
you know, maybe even going back further, what I was saying earlier about how Bobby's an influential person in my life because he's very much a community advocate and he's involved. And, and this, this project going into visiting uh, uh, Big Bend National Park uh, as a bikepacking trip, I wanted to do, again, as kind of a community venture. And so um, it initially wasn't my idea. Um, Andy Chasing, you may know him as the photographer for everything in the cycling world. Um, he put the idea in my head. Uh, I was doing a, a photo shoot at Meteor, um, one of my sponsors. And, uh, you know, Meteor's a great place, good coffee, good beer. Uh, we like to hang out there after races or training. And uh, he's like, hey, why don't you get some of your friends together and we'll go? Because I had just gotten back from there and I didn't have time to bike pack on that trip. I just went to do some road rides and some just kind of casual, quote unquote, casual gravel rides um, just to kind of test it out. And I had a great experience. And you know, I was like, Andy, you caught me in the right frame of mind. Let me ask some folks. And, you know, I found like my little pot of women riders were all into it. And so we went out there and, um, you know, the, the part that I don't want to leave out, but very much kind of will sway the, the story is that none of the women that I brought with me had any experience bikepacking. Uh -huh. So I guess you can call it a trial by fire. And, and if anybody baptism knows, by yeah, that baptism <laughs> by fire, and, uh, these women were trusting me with my knowledge as well as like the skill sets that I have from previous bikepacking experiences. And also the fact that I had recently ridden at Big Ben. So I kind of had an idea of the conditions that we'd be riding on. But um, I mean, truth be told, I don't think anything can prepare you for that experience of going there with your bike fully loaded down. And then, you know, on top of that, we're there the first week of January. So the first day we wake up, it's like 15 degrees, you know, it gets we're, cold there. we're coming from Texas where the, it, we're in winter, but, you know, we're talking about a low of 45, 50, you know. And so, so there was a lot of planning that went into this trip. And Andy was so instrumental in making sure that we had our bike um, our backcountry permits lined up and we had camping spots for all the days that we were there. And then I was really more in charge of the logistics, like making sure that we all had like a ride there, that we had, you know, split costs for like a hotel on the back end and then any like camp fees and, you know, firewood or anything that we purchased while we were on site. Um, and, and the idea for me was just to guide a group of friends through this trip and make it no cost to low cost. So to take away the barrier of bikepacking and, I, I'm sure you're probably thinking, yeah, that's a hell of a trip to take a bunch of first-timers on. But I also think, you know, that's what made it special. And that's what made it one of those experiences that if you push your limits, you really know how much you love something or you don't love something. And so it was it was kind of a good thing for me, too. Like, I had never really led a big group of uh, people bikepacking before. And so it kind of made me realize, you know, maybe that's not something that I necessarily want to do. But it also gave me all this invaluable information about what I love to do, which is to like teach people how to bike pack. And so I helped everyone get their gear together and I showed people how to pack their gear. And I talked about like options for meals and, you know, everybody did their, their, their due diligence, uh, research to, to be prepared. And it was an amazing experience. If from that alone, everybody came away like feeling very empowered and, and having learned something, even though we didn't actually get to complete the complete four day route as originally planned. So what did y'all wind <laughs> up doing? So um, it's just, I think the, the biggest challenge for us is that we were on, um, all of us decided to do it on 38 millimeter tires, you know, Remember which that? is which is pretty, pretty slim for the roads out there. I mean, you really want to be on like a 650B, like 
wider the better. I mean, just yeah. just just go as wide as you can, um, slash even a mountain bike. And none of us had mountain bikes, and so we just rolled with what we had. And I think because of that, we weren't able to ride as fast as we had initially um, planned on it. And you know, some of the roads do get pretty rough out there, so there was some hike a bike, and there were definitely some experiences that I'd say sections where I was like, I don't want to do this anymore, you know, where it's just constant, like you're rattling and jolting over rocks so hard. And you know this because you've been out there, your your gear bags start loosening and things just start breaking on your bike. And and I mean, we must have stopped every hour to adjust gear or yeah. to fix something that broke. Or I mean, by the end of the trip, I must have cut off like 30 zip ties that were holding my bike together. <laughs> and, um, you know, we just made a call on our, on our third day that, you know, we weren't having as much fun as we initially had planned. Yeah. Which, I mean, fun, you know, this is not a type one kind of fun. This is maybe a type two fun, right? Like after the fact, you're like, man, that was great. Yeah. But, you know, it was cold. We were having a lot of mechanical issues. Um, and, and and we knew that to be miserable on a on a first-time trip wasn't necessarily, I think, going to be beneficial to anyone. And so we called it. We yeah. called it. We finished it as a road road, road day, and we ended up actually, our our final day riding in um, the area, we went and rode out the, the Lajitas Trails oh, near nice. Terlingua and enjoyed that more. Yeah. It was absolutely like the most peaceful way to spend the day, and everybody got in their fill of bikes. So. I've I've been in an, an, a very similar position out of Big Bend where you just bite off more than you chew. It's very very easy to do out there, and uh, I've called it and, and pivoted and done something different a hundred percent. In fact, whenever I actually created a new route that is going to be published on Bikepacking.com, that's what nice. I was doing there. Nice. But the whole idea it's called the uh, Rio Revival, and so it, it's more geared toward you could it's like it could be a four day or a three day. But there's like water, you know, two nights where you're like right on the water so you can like get in the Rio. And it's just like, it's a lot of this, it's a lot of good parts, but like a little more tame because that river ramble is like, it's, it's a legit tough route. So, you know? yeah, I sat down with Jordan, um, who created the route, Jordan, uh, Vondi, I believe, V-O-N-D-Y, Vondi, Vondry. That's, that's his, his real name. I've talked to him about this before because yeah. I can't pronounce his last yeah. name. And so he's like, yeah, you can just call me Bondi. Bondi, but. okay. So so he's a local photographer, um, photojournalist, actually. Very, very talented, extremely nice guy. And um, you can see a lot of his work with the Texas Tribune. So he's got some really large clients here in town. Uh, he and I chatted because I wanted to kind of get the vibe from him and also talk to him about photography. And he... He's like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have gave it that rating of a four or whatever it was that he gave it. And I was like, it's not too late. Turn around. Yeah. Don't drown. I, I, we, we've uh, talked about it on the podcast before, too, is uh, we actually had that exact same conversation. And I rate it higher. And um, and even, like, if you go into the comments on that route, did you see where the park ranger oh, like yeah. was yeah. like, we, we need y'all to understand that this is hard and we're tired of rescuing y'all. Wow. <laughs> actually, I didn't see that. But, I mean, that's a good reminder to to ride within your means and I think yes. I think that kind of ties up that experience for me where I had gone out a mere month before and you know I'm I'm a pretty fit person and I actually got really really fit last year in 2020 in, in my pandemic pivot and uh, I went out there and had a great time riding but then you know going out bikepacking and and putting that kind of strain on your body with gear loaded down as well as like those temperatures that we're not necessarily accustomed to or that we haven't trained in. Yeah. Um, yeah, you really have to, I mean, I don't think you can 
downplay that enough. Like you really need to be prepared for yeah. what was it that Bobby said um, or that really everybody says prepare for the worst, prepare for the worst, but hope for the best Yeah, is literally the best thing I can think of. Yeah. That's a hundred percent. And uh, pack an extra tire. <laughs> Big Ben, it's tough terrain. So I don't, I don't think y'all are correct. I think it's badass that y'all tried it. And you, there's only one way to find out sometimes. And if you're, if you always complete the trip, then you're like, well, I left something out there on summer. You know, like you really have to push yourself to find your limits and know where your weaknesses are and know where you can get better and you know all those things. And Again, I, no failures. Yeah, I think I think that really can tie into, you know, we you mentioned the Texas Parks and Wildlife article that I recently written. It's for, the, I believe, the June 2021 issue. Well, let's see. I have it right oh, here. here. How about that? Um, it happens to be the, oh, it doesn't say it's like covered up. It is a the, feature article, though. It should be, I think, on the front there. Uh, oh, gosh, it is on the front, isn't it? Yeah. Camping yeah, yeah. On the first one, wheels. camping on two wheels. <laughs> Bike, bikepacking from Arkansas to Austin in a pandemic. Yeah. So, um, you know, along with my pandemic pivot of getting in shape and, you know, writing more last year, I felt like there was a need to get away. And, and you know, some people would argue that traveling during the pandemic is probably the worst thing that you could do. And, and I beg to differ because my, my intention was to to kind of get away as much as possible, right? And 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 visit some remote areas of the US that I wouldn't normally visit, you know, yeah. because I either A didn't have the time or B, I didn't have the interest. And so I think it came on a whim. I I was um planning, this is a two-part story because it all it gets <laughs> to talk about the, the trip that I'm planning next. But okay. um I was I had a race that I'd qualified for in Wisconsin and uh, I did the the mileage on it. It's about a thousand miles from Milwaukee to Austin, and I was like, "Great, I'll, I'll either just bike pack there or bike pack back." And uh, you know, of course, the pandemic happened. The race was canceled. Which, which race was it? Was it a bike pack, packing it, race? No, actually, it's a it's um, <laughs> a USA Triathlon Age Group Nationals. <laughs> <laughs> Amongst all the other weird things I do, yeah, you know, I qualified for um, age group nationals. That's awesome. Um, I love it though. But hold, hold two on, two years okay. ago, <laughs> like logistically, I'm sorry, but I just my brain has to know the answer. Sure. Uh, did were you going to have another bike there, or were you going to ride the bike that you would have ridden on? Yeah. So, so actually, the plan was to, and the plan still is. <laughs> ah. So the plan was to um, fly up to. Um, Milwaukee, uh, they would ship my bike there. They have like bike flights, I think, or yeah. one of those companies. And then um, ride back to Texas. And that would be like the beginning of August, which is about the okay. timing of this trip that I did from Arkansas to Austin. Gotcha. So, um, but as I was saying, they canceled the race. And so I was like, well, you know, I might as well still go bikepacking. I had this time planned. You know, I'd love to go on a long extended trip. And so I looked at options that would put me on the road kind of with the trajectory of north to south. And I did not feel really good about flying at the time because we're talking about June, July and the pandemic. And, you know, there's really honestly not a great idea. And even even more recently, I've flown during the pandemic and it's still not my favorite thing to do. Yeah. Slash flying is, I think, not my favorite thing to do. I don't like flying. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the carbon emission thing really bothers me. I opted, I was like, you know what, let's look at some other options. And so I, I opted to take the Amtrak um, and, and I looked at the options from Amtrak and I just happened upon seeing Little Rock as being approximately 700 miles from Texas. And um, at the same time, I had just found out about the Northeast uh, trail system in, up in North Texas. 
And I was like, well, if I route it correctly, I can swing in from, gosh, where to swing in from Arkansas right through um, Texarkana and actually hit the trail before I drop south through Dallas and then towards um, the 35 corridor. So how much, uh, and I guess it's worth mentioning for people people who don't know, the net or the Northeast Texas Trail, and I learned this from your article, will be the fourth longest, what is it, off-pavement or multi-use Correct, path, yeah, absolutely. Uh, United, in the United States uh, once it's fully done. But it, how much of it did y'all actually ride? Because the one thing I was bummed about in the article is that they didn't have the route, you know, a picture of the route that you did. Yeah, I actually need to get on that. I've had a few <laughs> people ask, and, and unfortunately they didn't ask for Parks and Wildlife, but I think in hindsight it's definitely something I'd like to publish. So I actually... Believe it or not, in my stubborn ways, which you might have already heard by now in my voice, I'm, when I set my mind on doing something, I'm going to do it. Uh, we actually rode almost the entire trail, which it's, gosh, I don't know the mileage off the top of my head. I think 132 or it's 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 pretty substantial, but there's quite a bit of it that's still not done yet. So right. you're going to get very much... Um, your off-road vibe. So, yeah, you want to be on your, your not necessarily full suspension, but, you know, a wider tire. You're going to be doing some bushwhacking. You're going to be doing a little bit of hike-a-bike. But, I mean, gosh, even since I went there last summer, they've probably put down, like, pea gravel, I'd say another 20%. So we're talking wow. about over 60% of it probably being groomed by now, I think. And, wow. you know, every – I stay on their email list, so I see that they're constantly making updates and, you know – updating the map with how much of it is now. Oh, like, they have actually an email covered. list, huh? Yeah. I'm only on their Facebook group. You got to get on the email. I don't yeah. think they send emails often, but it's, a, I think, a better way of, you know, sometimes we'll just, they, I feel like it's a little bit more in-depth information, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I ended up, uh, gosh, I mean, I don't know. Where do you want me to start on that story? I just, I really where, just decided it was a good idea and I did it and I what, routed it. What, yeah. So, I mean. <laughs> I routed it on my own. Yeah, I get that. I mean, you know, we all have like wild ideas. They're like, yeah, let's just do that. So the question I have is how did you create the route? That's, that's the, like the number one question I get as a podcaster is how to build routes. And so this is a perfect example where you just have this harebrained idea. You're like, well, and track goes there about 700 miles. Okay, let's build a route, you know? Yeah. You got a food, water, yeah. camping. It's it is pretty intense. I mean, I I would say I easily spent 30 hours for this trip with it being 700 miles. And so I usually start when I make a trip from scratch is total mileage based on bike miles. And then I take an estimate of the amount of hours and I kind of factor that in as well. You know, even though like I don't necessarily think Google Maps is correct even 75% of the time. It gives you a ballpark figure. So I'm like, okay, this route's approximately 700 miles. And then I start looking at the most direct route from point A to point B and where those spots line up with the route that it's being suggested as like a bike route. And so usually I'll work kind of backwards. And if I know an area, like for example, with this trip that I just did from Arkansas back to Austin, going from Austin towards Texarkana was a lot easier for me because I'm like, well, I've already pretty much ridden most of Texas, but I've never connected it with the net trail. I've never ridden through Texarkana. And then that's all the stuff that I don't know. And so I spent a lot of time researching towns that were kind of approximately along the suggested route that would have good camping resources, that would have good um, 
like any water stops, food, because there's yeah. tons of places that don't, right? Or they say they have a gas station and you ride on by and there's like nothing there, <laughs> you know? So a lot of it for me was just... Especially in like rural places where things shut down and they don't update oh, Google and in the Maps. Pandemic, and, and in pandemic, and, it was yeah, even the, crazier perfect, where there yeah, were so many places that weren't open. And so there was a little bit of trial trial and error um, with planning because I would I really tried to spend time with each town that I went to put connecting the dots. So I was like, I think this town has some amenities. Let me call and make sure. And so that was the one experience that I can take away from it is that all the planning ahead of time, albeit it's very important, if you don't do that, you're going to regret it. I mean, there was a place that we had called to confirm our housing and then we got there and we still regretted it. <laughs> They're like, oh no, this is just where the church is. This isn't where you're sleeping. You're sleeping 15 miles away. And we're oh. like, okay, there we go. That's the true story. <laughs> so trial and error obviously is a lot more fun when you're not on the road and you have like full access to the internet and you have like good yeah. cell phone service. I did a, a route building um, presentation with like the Rafa Club last oh, cool. night. They invited me to come and talk on that. And that's what the first thing I said is plan at home. That's where, because you don't want to be out there on a long trip. And ha I mean, there's mechanicals, there's heat, there's there's so many other things that you have to worry about. You don't want to have to wonder where you're going. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was that was the biggest learning experience that when I first started getting into bikepacking, I found is it resonated with me. It's like, well, I'm a planner. I've got to make all the plans I can ahead of time. And I've been very resourceful. I tend to cross, um, there's a couple different platforms that I really lean on when I do my routing. Um, first of all, uh, Strava has like a great build your own route. Strava is also a sponsor of mine for 2021. And they've been really insightful for providing metrics that I think most anyone can understand and find useful. And then also like building features that we actually need. For example, I happen to be, you know, a beta tester for them. And I'm like, well, we have this route building opportunity here, but are we making that mobile? Because if I'm out on the road and I need to make a route, it doesn't matter if I can do that at home. What if, how do I do that quickly while I'm out and yeah. about? And so they added that feature and, you know, that saved my biscuits a couple times yeah. when I was on the road. And um, the same could be true with like their desktop version. So I tend to like to use that with heat maps to see the most populated areas for bikes when I'm trying to connect from city to city. And then of course, I also like ride with GPS to see what other folks have done for their routing, um, whether they were bikepacking or not, just to kind of get a vibe for the types of um, situations they might encounter, which they'd write in the notes, or you know, like where they like to connect when they hit a certain town or a city. And then I think just generally speaking, being very good about, uh, you know, the Adventure Cycling Association has like a great website and they have great maps that are already existing of like very popular routes, but still pulling from their routes and places that they've gone as like, these are must do's or these are things that you should be looking for. Like basically taking the expertise that's already been laid out there. Yeah, for sure. Um, and applying that to what I'm doing. And of course, finally, I, you can say the same thing for bikepacking.com. Having that resource of like, here's what we've done. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to do it the exact same way, but this is what we were looking for. Water spaced out this far, housing spaced out here. Yeah. And those kind of all gave me the, the know-how of like, okay, approximately I want to ride this many miles a day. Approximately, I'm going to need water, food, this many, this far away. Um, you know, approximately, this is what I'm going to need in terms of like shelter or 
aid or, you know, the, there are certain, you know, like a bike shop, right? Like I would like to see a bike shop once every five days if I need something. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> so, so I kind of had all that in the back of my head before I actually started routing. And then, and then from there, I think it's having a, a plan B, C and D, you know, I always try to make sure that if I can't go somewhere, whether the road's unpassable or I'm too tired, that I have other options. Like I've either lined up another campsite or I know like there's this location here that's 10 miles the other direction or, you know, it, it just really, you're almost over-preparing sometimes, you know, and I think that's where a lot of times my prep builds up is because I'm not only planning for my ideal route, but I'm planning for my less than ideal route or, you know, if I can't do this, I can do this, or if I don't feel this, I can do this. And it's played out pretty well. I've been able to lean on that when I've been traveling. How uh, how much time did you allot for this trip? And and also, like, you built the route, you rode it. How did the route go? So, so yeah, having done it now, having designed it and done it, I was very, very proud of the planning that I made. And, you know, it's definitely a purely road course. Well, I take that back. I did it on a 40-millimeter tire, there was not tubeless. Um, unfortunately, I don't have my bike with me today, but cantilever brakes, and I've used it for racing cyclocross before. You know, I, when I went to Europe to race bikes, that was the bike that I brought with me that doubled as a great touring bike. Um, and so I thought, hey, it's a, it's a nice aluminum frame. It's really fitted for a lot of different situations, longer wheelbase. So it was really nice and relaxed for touring. And yeah, I, I, I did a really great job. I mean, we, we traveled the last week of July and the first week of August. And, you know, that's arguably the, one of the hottest times of the year. For sure. So that stops most people. And then add in the fact that I was able to convince my friend Valerie to come with me for most of the trip is absolutely insane. But we, we did it. And, and I was like, we're only going to do 40 miles a day. We're going to keep our elevation down. And so that was kind of one of the things that because I knew I was going to be having a traveling companion with me that wasn't as an, as fit as me at the time. I was like, yeah, let's try to average between this and this for our elevation per day, which was usually, I think we try to keep it under 2000 yeah. for a 40 mile day. Um, and then, you know, also starting by a certain time of the day, we always try to start by seven, seven thirty, depending on where we were going. And then, uh, generally speaking, we always had meals already planned for, or the ability to stop for meals, along the way, which we found out the the true meaning and value of Dollar General in the <laughs> South is pretty special. And uh, a lot of them actually have grocery stores added onto yeah. them. And that Electronics, is a bike, groceries. bike bikers haven. I mean, like, hey, sponsor me, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Dollar Tree, that'd be a good one. Actually, so yeah, I, I stopped at a Dollar Tree this past weekend. They've, they've got ice and, and cold beverages. So shout out to them too. <laughs> Sponsor me. Uh, how was it riding with uh, a companion on it? Uh, you know, 700 miles is a long way. Two bikes, two personalities. Yeah, yeah. And 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 to speak to your your last question, where I had you repeat it, try to repeat it. Um, we we did over 14 days, so oh, yeah, two that's weeks. Right, yeah. And my travel companion actually is a former pedicabber, and so she had a lot of bike and hauling experience on a bike. And, you know, I would say the hardest thing for her is that she wasn't as heat acclimated as myself. And so there were definitely days where we had to stop quite a bit more frequently because of the heat. And, um, you know, that's the thing that when you plan a trip at the end of July, which is arguably probably the worst time to plan a trip in the, in the, in the summer. Yeah. That's going to happen. But that's just like how I like it. I think I told myself that if I could do this, I could literally do anything. Because, I mean, there was definitely... 
it was not easy. And there were definitely no other people out there bike packing. <laughs> and, um, you know, there were times when tempers flared and, you know, all especially kind of unfondly remember the day when we were in Hamilton, Texas, and there was, you know, some really good gravel segments out there. Absolutely great place to ride off-road. And um, she's like, I'm not liking this. And I'm like, all right, well, I guess I have to tap into my plan B route and we'll get back on the road. And it's hard to travel with someone. And I and I appreciate the shared experiences, but I would say having bikepacked with many different people now over like the last five years, you really have to find someone that you would just be completely like self-contained. Yeah, that they can handle their own and that also that you're just compatible with in general, like yeah. personality and riding style. I think my my thing now is I like to test people and I'll and I'll say, hey, let's go bikepacking to like McKinney Falls State Park. That's right by my house. And so, you know, for most people, even if you live far north Austin, that's tops 20 minute, 20 mile ride. And so, you know, I'll I'll just say, hey, I'll meet you there, or you know, we can meet somewhere along the way and we'll ride out there and you know, you get an idea for people's level of comfort with bikepacking as well as maybe they're new to the to the activity or maybe they just don't know a lot about bikepacking. And I, and, I, and I remind myself we all started somewhere and that we're not all going to have that same level of expertise or comfort when we're doing it. And oh, so, for sure. I mean, 700 miles, 14 days on a bike, that's a, you know. It's a lot, yeah. It's a lot. And if it was her first time, it sounds like that might have been her first time to do a trip of that, of that distance. It was her first time. We, we, we did a shorter trip, um, a couple of, we did a couple shorter trips leading up to it just to kind of make sure we were actually going to be compatible with each other. Because I, I definitely planned at one time to go on my own. I think it was a trip where I kind of made some realizations about what I was comfortable with from a solo travel standpoint. And this is actually something that I've written about for bypacking.com regarding another trip that I did um, after that one in October, um, where I did the Northwest uh, Arkansas High Country Loop solo. And that was my first solo, first ever long solo um, bikepacking experience. And uh, and what yeah. month? That was during the summer, too? No, no, no. I did that in October of okay. 2020. And, and so it, that was more recent. But it wasn't, uh, you didn't line up as a race? You did it? No, actually, I had just found out about the race. So I was there literally the week before the race. Um, oh, okay. But I am on the waiting list for the race this year for the for the 240-mile distance. So, yeah. But um, I was not prepared for that bikepacking trip, just to, to kind of be clear. In terms of, like, bike or gear, um, I had... I took my, I don't really have a gravel bike. I have a cyclocross bike and I still had it geared with cyclocross gearing. And so um, if you know anything about the Northwest Arkansas area, <laughs> those climbs are no joke. And there's, you know, bike packing on that trip. There, there's times when you're just climbing 10%, 12% and anything easier than 10% just got easy. And anything over 12%, I was like, okay, I'm going to ride for a minute and then I'm going to walk for 30 seconds. I mean, it just, I had to just play games with my head because it was just so challenging. Um, you know, but, but that was an incredible experience. And that was, that was. Bobby's going back too. He texted me yesterday. Is he doing the 1000? I think. He's yeah, doing he's the 1000. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think he said he's going to get me in the 240. So <laughs> I'll more than likely be there. And, um, yeah, I would, I would love to go race it. I think that's kind of, we, you know, we could maybe segue into like what the future of bikes looks like for me and what I'm up to and what I'm thinking about working on. But sure, if you if you want yeah. to, I have a million questions, but it's your interview. <laughs> you can run the show. No, no, no. <laughs> Where are, are you? What segue? are your questions? Oh, I will well, come back yeah, to them if yeah, I want yeah. to. Yeah, um, 
I definitely, you know, I've, I've been a bike racer of various forms over, you know, the past, most of my life. But, you know, consistently in the last, like, 10 years with, like, Criterium and Road and then, you know, more recently Cyclocross and Gravel. And, you know, I just kind of really literally, maybe even the last year since I heard of the high um, country Arkansas race, realized that there is a type of racing for people like me that like bikepacking and that like carrying all their gear and becoming self-sufficient. And I, and I, it just like blew me away because I think really that's where my interest in life is going more towards is like, you know, bikepacking for me is like the ultimate experience in minimalism and how can I do more with less? And so, you know, I find that that mantra is kind of bleeding over in other parts of my life. And so it's like the more I bike pack and the more I think about like bike pack adventuring and, and races, I'm like, you know, how can I do that and do it as efficiently as possible? And so, yeah, I just, I, I'd like to get more involved in the, the adventure bike scene. Um, like I said, I definitely am interested in racing the Arkansas High Country Race in October. I know there's a couple of shorter distance races as you, well in you Texas mine. area. There you go. I'll do yours. When is it again? It's October 1st. It is October. Oh, wow. Three, okay. It's 388 miles. Count me in. And uh, it's easy. It's only 12,000 feet of climbing. I think this sounds like something I would do. And it starts in College Station, right? Uh, no, no. This one starts at the Bullet Ice House in Point Blank, Texas. Oh, Tell wow. me if there's anything more Texas than that. Sounds flat, and it sounds like we're going to get drunk before it starts. <laughs> <laughs> you can, you can. But uh, Lael's coming. Oh, wow. Uh, Andrew okay. Onermaw is coming. Uh, Seth Wood's coming. Bobby is a maybe. Um, I'm definitely it, interested. It, it, it's going uh, to be a good time. But it, it's an interesting distance, right? Because 388 miles... For someone like Lael, she's not going to bring a sleeping kid. Sure, you know, sure, she sure. Just, yeah. You know, Andrew would be in that category. Yeah. But it's also like, you know, you could come Perfect off the me. couch almost or be a weekend warrior and have a full-time job and still do it in three or four days or yeah. something. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's accessible and that's what, and then the whole idea is I do want to throw a big party because if you have a big, long bike packing race, everybody's, you know, comes in over like a week. But if you, if it's a little bit shorter, they come in in a tighter window and then you can all meet back at the bar and, and, I love and throw it. down. I love and it. Have well, call me as a tentative. That sounds beautiful. Well, you know, no pressure. <laughs> I am putting on the spot, but I love it. No, I, have I love to, it. I do have to promote my own stuff. <laughs> you know how that is. You're you are uh, you work for yourself, Self right? Self promoting machine. Yeah. You gotta you gotta promote yourself. I want to uh, I wanted to ask you about if you could speak about you know being a female biking with another female companion or just bike bike packing solo. And obviously, me being a guy, have no experience with this. But there's a lot of women that want to that are. It's a huge grow. I mean, you know, women is the largest, fastest growing. Uh, segment of our sport and so what can you share that would help the comfortability or what have you learned over the years yeah that's a really good question and I think that's just something that for me came with this epiphany moment when I was on the Arkansas high country um, 240 mile loop and um it is available to read on bikepacking.com um discovering I think I titled it Discovering Aloneness on the High Country Trail. I went into that trip with, you know, having done rides with other people and, you know, most mostly other people that identify as women with that comfort level, right? Like I have somebody that is going to support me, that's going to kind of watch my back. Like if 
we think there's something thumping in the woods. One of us is going to stay awake. We, you know, you, you know, we're both we're both in that same heightened awareness. And so, through solo travel, I think is where I found that fear of being in stillness. You know, I mean, I, I, that's a very broad, not direct answer, but. I think I realized that I wasn't really alone being alone, you know, and so that really kind of that that pivotal moment, you know, I was riding in the rain, it was cold, I had been alone, I had a dog with me, I had a dog riding, <laughs> running along while I was riding, it's on YouTube, it's pretty good. Oh my gosh. Um, Ginger, the golden retriever. But yeah, I, I just had this moment when I looked over at her and, you know, I'm, I'm, crying in the rain because I'm so cold and I'm so miserable and I'm like you know I'm not really that alone in life and it's not until you realize that moment that you I think for me anyways my fears dropped away and for the rest of the trip I was no longer jumping when I heard something in the woods or you know worried that somebody was gonna try and mess with my bike when I stopped at a gas station you know I think I think you kind of learn to to trust your intuition and I think my intuition made me aware and and yeah I, th- I think I think it, it it it's not something you can learn necessarily I think it just becomes your comfort your comfort level with yeah. the outdoors and the unexpected and you just either learn to be at peace with it or you don't I think I mean you know. I know guys even go through I mean if we're talking about just uh sure it's not you know, general ge- gender oh, no, specific yeah, no, at all not, like fear and that's something travel. I, I I've, I've, I grew up kind of in the outdoors, and so I've always felt very, very comfortable there. But, I mean, I've ridden with grown men who are, like, afraid of Bigfoot. And you're just like, bro, Bigfoot doesn't even exist. So, like, yeah. first, let's start there. Yeah. Well, maybe. He might. I'm not going to say. He, hey, I'm, a, I'm open-minded. Anything. I'd love a, a Bigfoot to exist. <laughs> but there is um, there's something really powerful that comes as a result of bikepacking and self-supported travel. And I think that's what it is. It's like this self-confidence, this, um, like ability, this knowledge of your own ability to do hard things and to like be okay. And, and that's a feeling and an insight into yourself that really never goes away. And once you understand about yourself, you're like, Oh man, you know, I, I'm okay. I can do this. I've got it. Yeah. And I, and I think that's kind of the lessons that I pulled from it and, and the best advice I can give, because I listened to tons of podcasts about, how do people as women identifying solo travelers deal with fear and safety? And everybody had different answers, but I think it, I think the, I think the vibe I got was you just have to find it within yourself to say, I'm not afraid. And once you believe that dialogue is when you truly are not afraid. And so it's almost kind of like the law of attraction, right? Like if you attract attention that is unwarranted, it will come to you. Mm-hmm. And versus, you know, you put out that confidence level that I know what I'm doing. I'm not someone to be messed with. Make sure you have a sharp knife with you at all times. <laughs> there are definitely ways to empower yourself. And above all, I think, don't be afraid to ask for help. And I think that's kind of the biggest thing that I've learned when I'm traveling is that, you know, the kindness of strangers can go a long way to kind of balance out that fear factor of like, everybody's out to get me. You know, you see that one person that sees you on the side of the road that stops and is like, hey, do you need help? Oh, you don't. I have some cold water. Would you like it? I mean, this happened to me so many times on on any of my bike travels, but in particular, coming back from Little Rock um, into Austin. And so, you know. Yeah, in your article, you were talking about, I'm going to 
butcher it, but you were essentially saying like the unexpected kindness of strangers, especially like in unexpected places. Let's be clear. You were like riding through Trump country in rural Texas, Bible belt. I mean, Trump signs everywhere. Absolutely. But I, I don't know if you wanted to share any of those experiences or just what that was like. I mean, I think there's definitely something to be said about being able to suss out a situation, right? And to know when the energy is is safe versus not safe, right? Uh, and I, I, there were times where I was like, you know, I'm not going to stop anywhere near here. But I've also been a person my entire life to not necessarily pass judgment very quickly. And so, and the, and the one thing I discovered in like places like that, and, and especially in places that you don't expect it, like anytime I've been in Arkansas, I've always been told and always heard like you know what a red state it is and how unfriendly people are and how there's not a lot of diversity but then you know I'd get out into some country areas and people are waving and they're holding their dogs back and you know they're offering you water or the water hose and I'm like man that's that never happens in Texas (laughs) (laughs) so again you know don't be quick to pass judgment and I think that's kind of where you know, I have been doing a lot of travel closer into Texas, you know, where I live. But, you know, come this year, segue into the, the last thing that um, I guess what's next on my plate is like I plan on completing that trip from it isn't going to be from Wisconsin to Austin, but I'm going to bike pack the summer from Minneapolis to Milwaukee, which is about 500 miles. So a different experience, a different part of the U.S. Um, you know, it is going to be primarily road based again, but you know, I think it's an amazing opportunity late July, early August to experience a part of the country at a time of year when it's actually very beautiful to visit that part of the country and to also meet different types of people, right? Because I'm going into these states that are going to have different political backgrounds. They're going to have different diversity. They're going to have different food, different culture. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's ultimately why we travel, right? You know, that's why, like, I went to Europe a couple of years ago and brought my bike is because I'm like, well, that's a very easy way to meet people. And, you know, if anything from all my travels, that's what I've learned is, you know, like the bike almost takes away that you think I always thought a bike would be like a barrier to conversation or to, you know, it's in the way bikes are in the way um, when I'm traveling, but it's the opposite. When I'm on a bike, people come up to me, people unexpected come up to me and ask me what I'm doing and where I'm going. And as long as they're not driving, they're really interested in what you're doing. (laughs) But if you see them on the road where they're driving, (laughs) there's some people that I've met driving that'll actually That's pull true. over and, you know, There's kind of like I was saying. Of, there are a lot of courteous drivers there that are, will pull yeah. way around. Yeah, but yeah. Of course, the bad ones are the ones that stand out. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I've been really lucky to not experience very many, you know, dangerous or bad drivers on, in yeah, my bikepacking experiences. I too. So, you know, I think that's a plus one for maybe the perceived notion of safety when bikepacking, you know, I think people definitely tend to give you a little bit more space because of the, the bike situation set up. And, you know, I tend to tend to sometimes like, you know, run daylight flashing lights and just, just I'm a little bit more, I think, aware of the fact that I am part of, I'm moving through a environment that I've never ridden in before. So I don't know what the road behavior is like. I don't know what the road quality is going to be like, but I'm just like hyper aware of like where I'm going to make sure that I put myself in like a compromised situation, you know, yeah. ride on a super busy road. You know? Well, you're, you're definitely a badass. Like I would, if you asked me to go on that trip, I would have been like, no, it's too hot. <laughs> you were trying to get me to go bikepack like a, 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 like a few weeks ago. I'm like too hot. <laughs> you're tougher than I am. Yeah. He- Are you from Texas? Where I am. Um, yeah, no, I'm from Texas. Uh, I, I was born in South Carolina, but I've grown up here. I've been, my family's been in the Austin area since the early 80s. 
Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I know you have to go to work, but why don't we uh, talk about like, what what are you doing tonight? Are you racing tonight? What, <laughs> what, what are you doing tonight with the crit? So, I'm going to go too. I'm yeah, going to go check it yeah, out. Yeah. So tonight is Thursday night. Um, hashtag, uh, uh, what is what is our Thursday is a new Friday. Yeah. And so um, we have a series here in Austin, Texas called the Driveway Series, which is the longest running crit in America. Um, Whoa, really? Uh, actually, I don't, I'm not going to say it's the longest running, but it is the largest weekly crit series in America. That's the correct title for it. And so we host anywhere from four to seven races a night, everywhere from um, March to October. And so I've kind of involved on the race promotion side too. And so I'm going to be helping out with um, registration tonight, as well as we are hosting a women's clinic. So we are essentially teaching women how to ride bikes. And, 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 and yes, the, there is like the, the element of learning how to race bikes, right? How to pace line, how to pull through, how to corner. But then there's also the like, here's how to get better at bike handling, which I think is a skill that everyone can use. And so we're trying to have like a series of, of educational clinics I'd say every like two or three weeks at the driveway. It's been really great because you have all these riders I've never seen before that are like wanting to learn. And so I'm, I'm excited about that. It's going to be great to, to see some new faces. So I'll be photographing that. And then, um, like I said, working at the driveway. Um, but I'll, I'll probably get back to racing next week. I needed a couple weeks off from Tulsa Tough um, to kind of get my brain straight and get my yeah. legs back into that like high turnover. <laughs> well, can we talk about crit racing for a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, Let's talk about crit racing. <laughs> so I, I had never been to a crit race. I, you know, I knew kind of what they were. It's in the city, short course. Um, but, um, again, I was in Tulsa or sorry, I was in Stillwater and every, like everybody I talked to was like, you going to Tulsa tough, you going to Tulsa tough. So of course I like Googled it. I'm like, okay, it's a crit race. And they were like, no, you got to go. You got to go. And so, I mean, I wasn't that reluctant. I was like, sure, bikes, I'll go. And I took my camera and I, I, I looked at it as an, I, I'm learning photography. I love, 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 you know, I'm just learning, but I really, really enjoy it. And so I was like, okay, well, good. I'm going to go like practice photography and check, check this out. What I loved, what I took away from that as a first timer was it takes some of the, um, like the tour de vance, uh, tour divide, or sorry, tour divide. What is it? Tour de France. Tour I'm such a bike packer. <laughs> <laughs> Where it's like a, you know, six, eight, whatever bike ride. And there's still some of those tactics going on in crit racing where you're still like there's teams and, but it's just like on a shorter, shorter loop. But the most important thing for me was how I saw it introduce the community to cyclists. And as soon as I made that connection, I immediately started to make plans to host my own crit race in my local community. Because if we're talking like earlier, we're talking about, you know, just, you know, this relationship between cyclists and motorists and even freaking electric scooterists and everything. It's like, I really like the fact that we can introduce the community to cyclists in a fun way and be like, man, these are just people, you know, you see them close up one-on-one. -on -one. Um, That's how I got into bike racing. My parents took me to my first crit when I was eight years old. And really? I was hooked. And Tulsa, I'd never experienced anything since then. And when I went to Tulsa, it was immediate, like, taken back to this very special, sacred, the world is innocent, we're all equals, you know, nobody's better than anybody else. And it was just an incredible feeling. And I felt that the entire weekend in Tulsa. And it wasn't just me, it was everyone. Yeah. Everyone's like, 
I love everybody here. And, <laughs> you know, there's so many people. Gosh, my favorite moment was probably on Sunday. Um, my favorite moment not related to racing specifically or partying. <laughs> um, there were very few of those. <laughs> um, there was, uh, you know, some of the college kids were hanging out on Crybaby Hill. And it was probably early, like 12, 1 o'clock. And they were watching the races. And I overheard this guy, I guess, lean over to his girlfriend or one of his fraternity brothers. And he's like, this is called a criterium. And he's like, this is what they're doing. And this is, you know, obviously the Crybaby Hill. But, like, they, they go through here. And then, you know, there's a finish line on the other side. And he was just explaining how the work, the race worked and what creams were. And I was listening and everything he said was accurate. And I was like, whoa, like <laughs> here's a guy who he may ride bikes, but he wasn't there riding bikes to that day. He was just there hanging out with his friends and getting drunk. And it was just so cool because it's like that's those are the conversations we need to be having. Exactly. And it isn't necessarily like I'm teaching you about bike racing, but it's like I'm telling you that it's OK that they're using the bikes on our streets. And even if it's just one day of the year, there's just this homogenous like fraternity kids passing us shots, people spraying us with water guns, and everybody's and old just people. super equal. And the old people love the bikes oh, in the Tulsa. Old people lo- dude, the I, old people love the bikes. There was, I mean, every walk of life was there. Yeah. It was hugely and well beautiful. attended. So beautiful. And I'm like, I'm all about that. You know, I'm, I'm, I have no interest in racing a crit. Y'all are crazy. Like, how <laughs> crazy is it? How scary is it to race a crit? Uh, well, I only got through 12 minutes of the crit to give you an idea of how scary it was. Um, it's you know, balls to the wall from the start. Like the the whistle goes off and you just go as fast as you can. And, you know, you're talking about, and my race was 50 women of pretty much similar abilities, but, you know, very quickly, like that gets strung out as like people go into these corners and they're just taking these corners like faster than they can handle safely. And so like you start to see the, the pack kind of thin out. And then that's kind of what ended up happening with me. I was a little too far back. And I was behind people that were breaking. And so I was never quite able to get back towards the front of the pack. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 super intense. You in, in your higher level races, you have elbows. You've got people that are like pushing people out of the way. There's definitely crashes. Um, it's like drag cars or NASCAR. You know, every corner is like you hope that somebody isn't going to wipe out. Um, but it's scary. It's, how do you? How do you like? I've how, how just do you, gotten over the fear, honestly. And all my years of racing, I'm finally getting over it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the part that I think would be hard to overcome for me is just like that mental awareness that you know wrecking is a is a is a legitimate. It's a part of the sport. Yeah, it's a for part sure. of the sport. Yeah. yeah, and it's and it's a very unfortunate part. And for a lot of cyclists, like racers, it's like kind of a badge of honor. It's like if you were wrecked. In fact, I had like you know a wreck scar too from recent. But you just get to this point where you know what's going to happen, and you just have to. I don't know all, all the pros. Uh, my my favorite pro favorite local pro Colin Strickland he he's like you know I was like you never wear gloves when you race and he's like because I don't crash oh so so <laughs> I really want to interview take, him take that take that from from you know how you will like you just put in that mentality you're in your mind that you're not going to go down and then you race with that confidence and you go out there and you do everything you can to make sure that you're not either the person to cause a crash or be around when a crash happens. I mean, it applies to, yeah, I mean, you can't enter a, the Arkansas high country or a 700 mile ride and, and think that you're not going to do it or think that you're going to be failing. You, you some envision way. success and you envision, you know, the best possible scenarios happening. And so that's kind of, I guess, how I take on all my adventures is like always look out for the best and there'll be great adventures. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, chatting. I really appreciate it. I mean, I appreciate everything that you do for the community. And like, honestly, like you're somebody that I kind of look up to because, you know, 
you've crafted out this really cool work job situation that's like allows you to do some really amazing things and and not only are you doing it as a living but you're doing what you're passionate about and you're able to share and grow the community which is obviously what I'm into you know is like just let's get more people on bikes let's make it as easy and fun and get everybody on bikes and yay bikes yay bikes yay bikes so where are we going now what are you doing let's go do the driveway i'm going to do the driveway i'm racing <laughs> i'll see you there all right thanks jessica thank you all right everybody thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode when i had this interview with jessica i had no idea that i would be breaking the news so to speak of what was going on behind the scenes with bikes for death um, I didn't have that reality check till the day after, actually. Um, so, yeah, this is all kind of new. And in many ways, I'm still kind of trying to process it. You know, in many ways, I feel kind of lost. You know, I mean, I've had a direction in my mind that I was pursuing wholeheartedly and it hasn't exactly worked out. And now I'm I'm just not sure. You know, it's like, well, I am sure. I mean, I guess the truth is, is that I can't do it alone. Like I always say, you know, I mean, it's like, that's the reality. So my path to success looks like getting help. It's something that I'm not very good at, to be honest. But, you know, I keep quoting Bobby Wintle, but I guess it was a pretty recent episode and he is a quotable guy. He says, together we are heavy and alone we are light. And, uh, you know, regardless of the money, this has been a very, very heavy experience because it has not happened in a vacuum. It has happened with you, because of you, for you. Um, and I have been a huge, huge benefactor in so many ways. If you are feeling inspired to help, there's a few things that you can do. Obviously, signing up as a patron is the best way to support the show. It lets me know exactly how much money I have every every month coming in and can count on to produce this show. The second thing is we have like a few thousand dollars in merchandise over at the Bikes or Death store. You know, if you fancy yourself some uh, Bikes or Death merch, now would be a great time to go over there and get it while it's hot. <laughs> and the last thing is, if you are aware of a organization or a business that might benefit from a partnership with Bikes or Death and you think would be a good fit, please send me an email, put us in contact. Um, you can reach me at bikes at bikesordeath.com. And that's it. Oh, it's just a tough time, right? It's a tough time. Tough time to be knocking on doors in the bicycle industry when they don't have product to even sell. And it's a tough time to be asking patrons and listeners of the show for money when I know that so many people are struggling. So I think we'll just leave it there. I am not quitting. I want that to be very clear. I am not giving up. I believe in this community. I believe in this podcast. And I am so hopeful that I don't know, man. I feel like I threw a Hail Mary and I'm hopeful that someone will be at the end of it and will catch that ball. Hopefully many people. And together we can keep this thing alive and we can keep doing it. And y'all know me, I will pour everything I have into it if I'm given the opportunity. So that's my last ace and I think it's a good one. All right, everybody. 
Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being with me on this journey. Every step of the way has been a wonderful experience. I couldn't do it without you. I love you. Now go ride your damn bike. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. 